Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, we have been in a series for the last couple of weeks entitled Welcome Home, as the uh, graphic there suggests. And as we started out as a brand new church, uh, we felt it was important to establish what we believe God has called us to create, the culture that God has called us to create as a family here in San Francisco. And we mentioned in the previous weeks that culture is not just something you put on a wall or on a website and you, know, you make this, this statement about what you're going to be. Culture really is the embodiment of people's practices and their convictions so that when somebody walks into a room, they feel your culture. It's the collective practices, the collective convictions of a group. And uh, last week, uh, my wife preached about experiencing God. Thank you, babe. That was an amazing sermon last week. Uh, If you did not catch that, uh, you can catch it on our website, tfh.church. Week one, we talked about creating a culture where everybody belongs, that this is a place where you belong first. Before you believe what we believe, before you behave how we behave, everybody's welcome at the table. That stuff will sort it out in time, but we want the doors to be wide open to the Father's house, and anybody who's far from Jesus needs to know that they have a place here in our church. And uh, today, I want to talk to you about a value that I'm exceptionally excited about. Oh, I'm sorry. Pause before we go into that. Where's Bobby at? Bobby, congratulations. What an amazing baptism story. By the way, if you've been here the last few times we baptized somebody, you know that today was the first time no one was injured during one of our baptisms. So (laughs) congratulations to our baptism team. (laughs) We're going to get it, guys. We're a new church. We're figuring stuff out. It's awesome. Last week, I'm like, did that guy get a concussion on his way down? Sorry about that. Anyway, today we are going into our third value, and I'm exceptionally excited about this one uh, because of what I believe is going to happen at the end of the service. Uh, my goal today is to stir your faith and uh, get you to a place where you believe that God can do anything before you leave this room. And I want to pray for some people before we get out of here. If you've been walking through a tough season, if you've been believing God for something that you haven't seen breakthrough in yet, maybe you've got a diagnosis, I believe in the God that still heals, the God that still brings about the breakthrough. And today we're talking about a church that we want to create, a culture that we want to create where people can dream big where they can dream big. Here's here's what the uh, value says. Uh, In fact, why don't we all just read this out together as it comes up on the screen. God is big, so we dream big. We will not insult God with small thinking or safe living, but we will operate with great faith in all areas at all times. I promise I know it. It's great. There'll be a test at the end. Come on, that, that's, a, that's a value that I want us to hold near and dear to our heart. God is big, so we dream big, and we're not going to insult God with small thinking or safe living. And I know that might sound a little bit aggressive, like, okay, really? Like, insult God? Like, come on, gear down shifter, okay? Like, we, we, we're, we get this. But here's what I found, and maybe if you've been around in church for any length of time, you've discovered this as well. There's a lot of people who believe in the God of the universe, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God who came down in human flesh and healed the sick and opened blind eyes and did miracle after miracle after miracle, this big God, there's people who say they believe in him, but they live rather safe, predictable, faithless lives. People who come to church week after week and rather than praying for the healing, they pray for comfort in the sickness. Rather than praying for breakthrough, they pray for the patients to figure it out. And I feel like sometimes we water down our faith in the body of Christ. Our our, our faith is not aligned with the size of our God, but often it's aligned with the size of our problem or the situation that we're facing. And and I'd I'd love to say, well, you know, as pastors, we got this figured out. But if I'm honest with you, 
having been the new guy on the block and meeting a lot of the pastors in the city, I got to tell you about half the time I'm really encouraged when I talk to people. And the other half of the time I'm like, dear Jesus, like get me off the phone. I'm going to take a bath. Like I talked to a guy this week and um, I, I won't mention any names, but uh, in the middle of the conversation, he starts telling me about the woes of planning a church in San Francisco. He's like, you know, been here for 20 years. It's hard ground. Just don't, don't expect much. Just want you to know it's, it's, it's rough. Be lucky to get 10, 15 people in there, you know. Giving's really hard. No one wants to give here. No one wants to serve. I'm like, okay, thanks for, for encouraging me. And he's like, hey, where are you guys meeting at? I'm like, oh, you know, we're on the corner of Slow 19th. And we got this great building. Oh, what, what? You think you need a building that big? I'm like, wow. <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll never fill it. You know, you don't need a building that big. And I'm like, Really? These are the people that are at the front of the pack that are supposed to be leading the, the church of God in San Francisco? Like, no, I want to dream big. We have a big God. I don't want to limit my thinking to what I've seen in the past decade. I actually believe that we are here for such a time as this, that revival is coming to San Francisco, that thousands of people are going to be saved, and this building or any other building in this city is not big enough to contain the harvest that God is bringing in this season. Come on, is there anybody with me? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I believe in the God that does exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. That's the kind of God we serve. I'm going to slow down. Very beginning. Calm down. We'll preach later. It's going to be good. Thank you. So I want to talk to us today about, about stirring up our faith and dreaming big, and, and maybe for some of us, learning how to dream big again. Uh, if your faith has been watered down, I believe that today God's going to stir something up in you to believe again for those things that maybe you've laid down for seasons or for decades, and it's going to be a great day of great faith. Amen? Come on, open up your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 4. Uh, that's where we're going to spend the majority of the morning today. And I'm going to pray as we get into this. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for uh, just a sense that you are here among us during worship. God, you, you came today to do business. We, we didn't show up here at church to sing through some songs and audit or, you know, figure out if this is uh, the kind of church that's going to align with what we believe or what we don't believe. God, we're here because we know that you are in your house and you can change us before we leave this place. I pray that by your word, that you would do what you've promised, that you would go between bone and spirit, soul, and, and you would get right into the heart of where we're living. And God, that you would transform us from the inside out before we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Romans chapter four, excuse me, verse 17. Here's what it says. Oh, actually, before we go there, let me give you the backstory. So what we're about to read is about a guy named Abraham. And if you're unfamiliar uh, with the story of Abraham, let me bring us all on the same page so that all the kids are on the team. Uh, Abraham is uh, what the Bible calls the father of our faith. He was the first of the Jewish nation of Israel. And uh, God comes to Abraham at the ripe young age of 75 years old. And he says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And through your son, through your lineage, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham's like, hey, God, um, I'm 75, my wife is 66, this is a little bit awkward. Are you sure that we're gonna have a baby? And God's like, I'm God, I can do whatever I want to do. So get busy and make a baby. Now, this is before the time of uh, magical pills and those sorts of things that allow senior citizens to engage in such activities. So Abraham and Sarah, they begin the process of trying to conceive a child. And uh, so they go to the bedroom, they turn on the Barry White and you know, they light the candles and it's great. 
Uh, and, and for the first few weeks or months, I'm sure that they're excited, like we're going to have a baby. God told us we're going to have a baby. But then some time passes. A year, two years, five years, 10 years, 25 years pass between the time that God has made this promise to Abraham and where they live. And I would imagine that at 99 years old, Abraham's probably thinking, I feel like God was mistaken. Maybe he forgot about me down here. Like clearly, I am 99 years old. There is no way we're having a baby. If you're 99 here and you're trying to have a baby, just stop for the love of God, okay? But God comes to him again at 99 and he says, Abraham, remember that promise I made to you at 75? Hey, it's time. I am ready to bring you a child. He's like, really, God? Like, I don't know if I'm attracted to her any longer. Like, she's like, she's really old now. And he's like, get busy. So they get busy. And at 99 years old, God, sorry, this is a really bad interpretation of scripture. Um, God brings about this promise. Uh, and, and they have Isaac, the son of laughter. And this 25-year-old promise is finally, uh, finally comes to pass. So in Romans chapter 4, we get a glimpse into Abraham's mentality in this season between 75 and 99, the season between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise and his heart condition and his thoughts and his motives and all of it is revealed in Romans chapter four through the apostle Paul. So here's what it says in verse 17. Um, Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham's faith, look at this, did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Really mean language there in the Bible. Uh, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Now, incredible story, incredible revelation about the mindset and the heart condition of Abraham. But can we be honest for just a moment this morning? I think this scripture falls into the category of narratives in the Bible that are much easier read than done. You've heard better said than done, right? I think these are easier read. There's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that are much easier read than done. I would love to say that I'm the guy that operates the same way that Abraham did. And, you know, when I'm waiting in these seasons for promises to be fulfilled and God's spoken to me, but I haven't seen him yet. I have great faith and my, great, my faith grows stronger every single day. But man, that, that, that doesn't seem to be my experience. I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would say, it's a great story, but that, that doesn't really align with my story. Like, let me just check. How many of you are here today and, and you're praying for something that you still haven't seen an answer for yet? Let's how about this. How many of you are here today and you prayed for something and it didn't happen the way you prayed for it to happen and you felt like maybe God let you down a little bit? Yeah, I think, I think we all have that story or a few of them on our rap sheet. And because of that, because of what we've seen, because of unanswered prayers or because of prayers that we haven't seen come to pass yet, I think that a lot of us end up watering down our faith based on what we've seen. We believe according to the track record, according to the history. Let me say it like this. We begin to expect what we've experienced. Our expectations are not aligned with the size of our God. 
the miraculous power of our God, but our expectations get watered down to our experience. This is what I've seen, and so this must be how it works. Maybe you're here today and you're going through a rough patch in your marriage and you're like, well, in my family line, here's what I've experienced. I've experienced people always getting divorced. My parents were divorced. They were divorced a few times. Their parents were divorced. So divorce is just sort of in my family line. I'm expecting that this marriage is gonna end in divorce because that's what I've experienced. Or sickness runs in my family. My parents had cancer. Their parents had cancer. So I I know that we're going to pray for healing and all that stuff that you Christians do. But I've experienced death because of sickness. So I'm expecting that this thing is going to end the same way it did for my parents. Or poverty's always run in my family. No one's ever been able to break through that invisible line. And, and I just am experiencing poverty as a kid. My parents experienced poverty. Since that's what we've experienced, I'm just going to expect that things are never going to go any different for me. This is just my lot in life. We, we begin to expect what we've experienced. And because of that, we buy into this lie that exists everywhere in our culture. It permeates our culture. And that is, if I'm going to believe for anything greater than what I've seen, or excuse me, anything greater than I've experienced, I need to see it first. I have to see it to believe it. Seeing is believing. Have you heard that before? I gotta see it to believe it. Do you know that that is the opposite of faith? The very definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things unseen. It's being convinced of those things, not that we see with our natural eyes, but when we close our eyes and we begin to make declarations about what God wants to do, I am more convinced of what I see with my eyes closed than what I see with my eyes open. It is the belief in the unseen. But so many of us have seen too much, so we we don't have much faith. I think this is why Jesus often encourages us in Scripture to have what he calls childlike faith. Faith as a child, because children seem to be the only demographic of society that doesn't have to see it in order to believe it. You can tell a kid anything, and they'll believe it. Like, if you tell a kid that when they lose a tooth, they can take that tooth and put it under a pillow, and at night a fairy is going to fly into their room and exchange that tooth with money, then a child is going to believe, hey, tooth fairy, that's my girl. If you tell a child that an overweight gentleman who eats cookies all night long is going to put on a red suit and slide down the chimney in the middle of the night, take the cookies and leave presents that just so happen to be exactly what they asked for, and then go do it to all other kinds of kids all around the world, like they will believe that that is actually going to happen. Not in my house, but most other households. Like my wife and I had a conversation years ago and she's like, hey, um... I don't really want our kids thinking that strangers come into the house in the middle of the night and we just allow it to happen. Like, we should probably set the record straight on this whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, it's a good idea. Which is better, by the way, than how my dad told me about Santa Claus. Um, I digress. But uh, I remember, I must have been eight years old or something like that. I was sitting on a bed, excited for Santa to show up in the middle of the night. And my dad comes to me. He's like, hey, son, let's have a conversation. I'm like, okay, Santa's coming tonight. And he's like, yeah, about that. Um... So how many kids do you think are, exist in the world? And I'm like, 50? You know, I don't know, eight, you know? He's like, let's go with about a billion. I'm like, okay. He's like, all right. Um, how long do you think it takes Santa at each house to deliver these presents? And I'm like, 50? You know, I don't know. He's like, 
Let's give Santa a whole minute at each house, okay? How many minutes are there in an hour? Uh, 60? How many hours are there in the, in the night? Uh, eight? Okay, let's do the math. Like, I calculated my way into unbelief, like with Santa Claus. I'm like, thanks, Dad, appreciate that. It still scars me. I'm 35 years old, and I remember it to this day. Yeah, with kids, they'll believe anything you tell them. If you tell them that fairies are real or Santa's real or magic's real, they will believe you. And if you tell a kid, hey, they can lay their hands on a sick person and that person will recover, they'll pray for that person. And if you tell a kid that when mommy and daddy's marriage isn't doing so well, if they pray that God can fix it, they will pray and believe for breakthrough. If you tell a kid that while daddy doesn't have a job or mommy doesn't have a job, God's still going to provide for their needs, they actually have the audacity to believe God for breakthrough in situations that don't make sense. Childlike faith. But, 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 but we know better. Because you know, we've seen some stuff. We've seen the prayers go unanswered and we've seen people file for foreclosure and bankruptcy. And, you know, so it's cute for a kid to believe for that, but I, I can't. I mean, it's okay for a kid to put their tooth under the pillow, but if you're an adult putting your dentures under the pillow, that's weird. <laughs> It's cute if you're a kid putting out cookies for Santa, but if you're 45 in a onesie pajama putting out cookies at 10 o'clock at night, you need to seek counsel. Like, that's a problem. It's cute for a kid to pray for healing, but I've already seen the way this pans out. It's cute for a kid to pray for restoration in the marriage, but they don't understand the differences between their mother and I. I know better. To be honest, I don't want to know better. I don't want to be the kind of person that knows better and bases my faith on broken situations that I did not see breakthrough in the past for. I want to be the kind of believer that has childlike faith that says, even if I haven't seen it yet, I know that God is still able to do it. And so I'm going to dream big and believe big because I serve a big God. That's the kind of believer I want to be. I remember um, uh, maybe last summer, about a year ago, um, we were at uh, Pieology having pizza with our kids. And um, I, uh, we, we ordered our pizzas and we sat down at the table to eat. And as I opened up my pizza box, the cardboard of the pizza box like, like hit my eyeball on the way up and just like slit my eye, my eye, whatever that thing is, the lens or something. And like immediately, I was like, my eye was watering, it was red and I couldn't stop blinking and I had to keep my eyes shut. And I went into the bathroom, I was trying to wash it all out. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't see. So finally I said, hey guys, you're gonna have to finish dinner. I'm gonna go home and uh, I, I gotta lay down this. I don't know what's going on here. I might have to go to the doctors. So I went home and I put some eye drops in and I'm sitting there in the dark, just trying to keep my eye from watering. And um, I guess on the car ride home, my wife had told my daughters, hey, dad's hurt. And so chances are he's not gonna be able to pray for you tonight when he goes to bed. That's my job. I pray for my kids at night. And so you need to go into the, into the house and say goodnight to daddy and then head off to bed and, and put on your pajamas. Well, this bothered my oldest daughter because she, she enjoys the routine of me praying for her at nighttime. And so she came into the house and she came over to the couch and she said, Daddy, are you sure you can't come pray for me tonight? And I said, baby, I'd love to. I'm sorry, but my eye, it really hurts and it won't stop watering and it's really bloodshot and I think I, think I did something bad. And she's like, okay, I'm going to pray for you because I want you to come pray for me. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> selfish ambition, but we'll work it out, you know. So she puts her little hand on my eye and she's like, Jesus, I pray for daddy that his eye would heal so that he could come pray for me tonight in Jesus' name, amen. I'm like, thank you, sweetheart. All right, go ahead, have a, have a good night's sleep. And here's what she said. She's like, well, 
is it better? I'm like, oh, baby, no, I'm hurt. She's like, we'll test it out. And I'm like, look at you, girl. Okay. She must have gone to Bethel. I like it. <laughs> so I opened up my eyeball, and as God is my witness, immediately all the pain left, all the watering was gone. My eye was completely healed. And I'm like shocked. I'm like, oh, go, what else do you want to pray for right now? You're like, let's go lay hands on people. I got a, I got a healing evangelist over here in my household. And nonchalantly, she looks at me and she's like, okay, let's go to the bedroom. You can pray for me now. Why? Because she had heard from her mom and dad that if you pray for the sick, they're going to recover. So there was not a doubt in her mind that if she laid her little paw on my eyeball, that God was going to heal me so that she could have me pray for her in her bedroom that night. Come on, that's the kind of faith I want to have. The faith that expects a miracle. The faith that isn't surprised when God does what we've been praying for him to do. I want to be a part of a church with great faith that dreams big. But listen, if we're going to do that, there's some things that we have to adjust a little bit. We have to change the way we think about things. We have to change the way we process situations in life. And I think that we can draw a few thoughts out of this scripture in Romans chapter 4 today that will help us to grow up a little bit in our faith so that we can become a little bit more childlike. What an ironic statement, isn't it? So here, here's, uh, if you're taking notes, I want you to write a couple of these down. Number one, if we're going to believe God for big things, if we're going to dream big, we need to let God do the talking. We need to let God do the talking. Look what it says in uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Uh, the NLT, it says it like this, that believed in the God that creates something out of nothing. And then 18 says, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. Verse 17, he says, he believed in the God that could create something out of nothing. Let me ask you this morning, how does God create something out of nothing? He speaks. He says something. He talks. And the moment he opens up his mouth, things that did not exist before suddenly exist. Go back to the beginning of the book. The earth was formless. It was void. Genesis chapter 1. What happened? God spoke. And when God spoke, something that did not exist before suddenly existed. The way God creates something out of nothing, the way God changes situations, is he makes a declaration. He opens up his mouth. Now, if that is true, then the question begs to be asked, what does God say about your current situation? What does God say about your sickness? What does God say about your job situation? What is God saying about your family or your addiction or your depression? What does he say about it? Because I guarantee he has something to say about it. There is definitely something in his heart about your situation. I think the reason that so many believers do not have the faith to break through this chapter is because they do not understand what God is saying about their situation. They know what their messed up friends are saying. They know what they're saying about it, but they don't know what the word of God has to say about it. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Biblical illiteracy results in faith infancy. Biblical illiteracy results in faith 
infancy. In other words, if you do not know what this book has to say about your life, then you will never have the faith to break through that situation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is stuff that is tied up in this book that is waiting to be released over your situation. You have got to know what it says. And I promise you, God has something to say about it. I was recently named um, in a lawsuit. And uh, fear not, I was absolved of all wrongdoing. I'm a pastor, Jesus loves me, and I don't do bad things. But um, I was being accused of some things that were untrue. And when I met with our attorney, uh, before we went to the mediation and the arbitration stuff, uh, the attorney said to me, hey, do you have a conversation log of the, the chats you had with the other parties? And if that uh, term is unfamiliar to you, a conversation log is simply just a, a collection of emails and phone conversations that you've written down notes about so that people can say, okay, this is exactly what was said in the midst of this whole situation. And so I handed him over my conversation log and I shared with him what I said to this person and what that person was saying back to me. And he kind of memorized it. And then when we sat down uh, in front of the mediator and we began the, the conversation, about whether or not I was guilty or this other person was guilty, uh, the, the, the person made some accusations against me. And in the middle of the accusations, my attorney stopped the, 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 that, that accusing party and said, wait, 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 that's actually not what was said. If we go back to the conversation log and we look at the conversation log, here's what my client said to you in that situation. Here's actually what the email says, not what you're stating it said. And because there was a log of things that had been said, I was absolved of wrongdoing because the mediator knew that's not what happened. This is actually what happened. Well, listen to me carefully, Christian. You will find yourself time and time and time again sitting on the other side of an accusing party and his name is Satan and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God wants to do in your life. But you, my friend, have been given a log of conversations. You have been given some things that have already been said about your life. And in those moments, if you know what's been said, you can respond to the accusation, you can respond to the lie, and you can say, you know what, I know you think that this sickness is gonna take me out, but Isaiah says that by his stripes I've been healed. I know you think that this is the end for me in my job, but Philippians chapter 4 said that he's going to provide for all of my needs according to his riches and his glory. And I know that you think this is the end for me, but Jeremiah says he's got good plans for my life, plans to prosper me and not to harm me. You got to know what the Bible says. I'm preaching really, really passionately and you're just sitting there. That's okay. What does the Bible say about your situation? Get it in your heart. Release it over whatever it is that you're facing and watch your faith begin to grow. Number two, uh, if we are going to dream big, then we need to be people who hope against hope. Who hope against hope. Here's what it says in in, uh, Romans chapter four, verse 18. Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. When there was no reason to hope, He kept hoping. He hoped against hope. Now, that sounds like kind of a paradoxical statement in and of itself. And if we were to go around the room today and and go, okay, well, well, what does that mean? Like, like what what is hope? I think we would probably collect our ideas and submit our answer. And for most of us, hope equates to wishful thinking in a sense. Like, well, I hope it works out. I hope he asks me out. Like, I wish things were a little bit different. Um, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. I wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a 6'4 and Paula. 
got 90s rap lyrics locked up right here. Like, they're great. Thank you, Skilo. For most of us, that's what hope equates to, wishful thinking. But that is actually not the biblical definition of hope. That's not what, what, what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 4. He's not like, oh, Abraham wished it would happen. The, the word in the Greek there is the word elpis. And it means to expect something good. To expect something good. Not to hope for something good, but to expect something good. If we apply that definition back to the scripture, here's what it says. Abraham expected something good when there was no reason to expect something good. He expected good when there was no, I mean, he was as good as dead. His wife's womb was as good as dead, but he still expected. Kind of that goofy smile on your face like, tonight's the night. We're going to have a baby. It's going to be great. Like, like, what is that? Is this like, just deny reality, stick your head in the sand and, and trust that everything's going to work out? Now, I think that there was a reason, and I think the scripture gives us a thought here as to how he was able to expect for something good. Look at what it says in Romans 4.21. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promised. Now, I'm going to share with you something very subtle, but it's important. You need to pay attention. He believed that God was able to do whatever he promised. The reason that Abraham had the ability to hope against hope and the way that we can hope against hope and expect something good is if we put our faith in a person and not in a promise. Abraham's faith was not in the outcome, but his faith was in the one who promised him the outcome. Subtle difference, but, but a huge one. Let me, let me make this easy for you. Um, Brenda, if I came to you this morning and I said, I am going to give you $10 million. I promise I'm good for it. $10 million, it's all yours. She looks very unconvinced. <laughs> She's rolling her eyes at me. Why? Because I don't have $10 million. Like, I'm a bad source for that promise. Doesn't matter how much I promise her, I will never be able to deliver on it. But if Elon Musk walked in the room this morning, or Mark Zuckerberg walked in the room this morning and said, hey, Brenda, I just really believe in what you're doing. See, her face just changed. This is great. <laughs> Immediately, I'm gonna give you $10 million. Suddenly, yeah, she's excited. She's got a smile. Like, by the way, if you're watching Mark or Elon, we would love for you to be at the Father's house, okay? We could all stop tithing if you showed up. It'd be great. Okay. <laughs> now, the promise is the same, but the source is different. If the source is good for it, I don't have to worry about the outcome. I don't have to worry about the promise. I know that the one who made that promise to me is good for it so I can believe for exactly what they said is coming. If you are here this morning and you are finding it difficult to believe that God can heal or God can restore or that your situation is going to turn, perhaps it is because you have placed your faith in an outcome and not the God of the outcome. Just think about this for a moment. Is it the surgeon you're trusting or the God who guides the hands of the surgeon? Is it the counselor you're putting your faith in to fix your marriage or the God that can provoke a question in the heart of that counselor that would stir about something in your marriage that would turn it for the good? Is it your boss that you're hoping will give you the promotion? Is it the boss that you're hoping will cause your application to hit the top of the stack? Or is it the promotion that doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from the Lord, and if God provides, then you don't have to worry about making a way for yourself. Our faith must be in the source. Our hope must be in Jesus. If our hope is in Jesus, we don't need to worry about the outcome. 
My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. If our faith is in him, come on, anything can happen. Last one, band, you guys can come. If we're gonna dream big, then we need to learn how to wait well. We need to learn how to wait well. And if I'm honest, this is the most difficult one. The others are cake compared to this one. Here's what it says in, uh, in Romans chapter four, verse 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, and I don't understand this statement, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. His faith grew stronger. 25 years of an unanswered promise and every day he believed more than he did the day before. Like, how is that possible? Like, picture that for a moment. The, the, the candle wax is all melted on the dresser. The CD is skipping because they played the same song over and over and over again. But every night he walked in and said, tonight's the night that God's gonna answer this promise. How do you have more faith after 25 years of unanswered prayer? Let me be real with you. Robin and I, when we were first trying to have kids, we had a very difficult time. We waited for seven years after we got married and then we said, okay, now it's time to have children. And for two years, after seeing doctors and making attempts and doing everything we knew how to do in our own power, we still were not able to have a baby. And I would love to tell you that during that two-year period, like my faith grew every single day. Like, this is it, God's gonna provide. But man, I'm, I'm, I'm just as human as you. My faith did not grow. I feel like my faith waned in that season. I felt like I just believed less and less as every day passed. Wondering like, God, are you ever gonna come through on this promise? See, for most of us, waiting does not produce faith. Like waiting produces something completely different. Like, I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. Waiting produces frustration in me. I hate to wait at stop signs. I hate to wait at stoplights. I'm very quick to the horn. Like, I, I don't like to wait anywhere. I've never once waited and gone, thank you, God, for stirring my faith in this season of waiting. I've never walked into Chipotle after church with a line out the door and gone, yes. Only to get to the front of the line as that person clearly never looked at the menu the entire time they were standing there and they vacillate between chicken and pork for another five minutes while the rest of us wait for them. I'm like, for the love of God, do you not see the line behind you? Like, Sorry, that was personal. If you're here today, please don't ever do that. Like, I don't like waiting. Waiting doesn't produce anything good in me. Like most of us, we equate waiting with missing out. If I have to wait here, I'm missing out on getting somewhere. I'm missing out on being where I'm supposed to be. I'm missing out while everyone else is having a good time. I'm stuck here. That's what waiting looks like for us. But let me remind you today, Christian, that the kingdom is counterintuitive. That one, things work one way in the world, but they work a little bit differently in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, waiting has the ability to produce something in you that nothing else on this planet can produce. In the kingdom, if you wanna become great, you have to serve everybody. If you wanna receive, you gotta give. If you wanna live, you have to learn to die to yourself. And in the kingdom, waiting actually doesn't cause you to miss out on something, 
but it produces something in you, a faith in you that nothing else can produce. Because in the season of waiting, you get exhausted of self, you've tried everything you know how to do, and you come to this beautiful place of realizing only God can fix this situation. A doctor can't fix it, a job can't fix it, a friend can't fix it, a counselor can't fix it. I'm getting to a place where only God can fix what I'm walking through right now. Where you are depleted of self and you finally surrender. We, we tried for two years and everything the world offered us did not work. But one moment with one prayer, a womb was opened and now we have two beautiful children. Why? Because only God can do that. And only God can fix your situation. Only God can restore your marriage. I want to be the kind of church that pushes in all of its chips and banks everything on an only God kind of moment. I don't want to do predictable things. I don't want to walk through predictable patterns. I want to be a church that actually smiles even in the face of adversity that says, you know what? God's going to bring us through this. God's going to carry us. He's always been faithful. He's going to continue to be faithful. He still heals. He still restores. The best days for this city are ahead. Come on, I want to be that kind of a church. God is big, so we will dream big. We're not going to insult God with small thinking and safe living. We're going to be the church that operates with great faith at all times, in all areas, in Jesus' name. Come on, can I get a decent amen? Amen. Now, we're going to land the plane. And as we do, I want to pray for a couple of groups of people, but I, I'm, I, we're a little old school here at the Father's house and we actually believe that one moment in the presence of God can change everything. And if you came here today and you've got a diagnosis or you've got a problem or whatever the case might be, we're gonna have people up here at the front that are waiting to pray for you. And we're believing that today could be a day for breakthrough. So please do not be the person that rushes out of here and misses this moment. There is an atmosphere of faith here. We're believing for big things. I think that praise cards should be filled out. I had cancer, I don't anymore. I needed a job and I have one now. My marriage was on the rocks and God restored it. My children were far from Jesus, but now they're coming back home. Like, like I, I wanna read those kinds of testimonies. Come pray today and believe for those only God kind of miracles, amen? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.